Good evening, everybody. Glad you could be here tonight. Just raising myself up. You're seeing one of my coolest features of my power chair. So. Well, I'm glad to be here tonight. Um, I'm glad I was invited to do this. This is the first time I'm telling my story to an audience. But if you know me, I'm very open about every single area of my life uh, and my disability. Um, no question is too personal for me. If I, if I met me for the first time, those are some of the same questions I'd ask myself. Like, why do you do this? How do you have, what, what makes it happen that way? And how do you do stuff? And so, um, feel free to ask me any questions afterwards. No questions too personal. So some of my, um, I invited some other friends here tonight, other friends that know me and have meant something to my life. And so I want this to be an encouragement tonight, but I want to share some of the negatives of my disability so that you know what life is like for me and anyone else when you meet someone that has muscular dystrophy. I call it MD for, for, for short. I'll be using that tonight. Um, it's a hard life, but it can still be a good life. Um, many people have it harder than me, and many people have it harder than you, no matter what, how hard you think life is. We can't start complaining about how bad our lives are until we find someone that has it harder than us. And we compare our things, our hard things in our lives to the hard things in other people's lives. Um, I've learned to fully embrace and accept my disability. So this is not to say I never get mad or complain about the effects of MD and the things that prevents me from doing, but I can still have a good life and enjoy life. Um, just on Tuesday, some of you know Johnny Brubaker. He came into school and was sharing his testimony and told his life story. And it was really good to hear that. I made sure I went down and heard that so I kind of get an idea of how what I should share and what people want to hear about. So and the doctors have only get, given him two more months to live. So cancer is going to get to him. It's slowing him down. He quit doing work about two weeks ago. So he's starting to slow down. So. That was an encouragement to hear that. Now I'm sharing my story tonight for you. So I'm going to start out by reading a verse from Psalms 139, 13 to 16 in the NLT. It makes it sound a little bit more. I liked how it worded it. So Psalm 139, verse 13. You made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter, utter seclusion. As I was woven together in the dark of the womb, you saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. So from these verses, I know that I am not a mistake because I have MD. God knew what I was going to be like even when I was being formed in my mother's womb. God cannot be, to me, he can't be, this kind of God to me, and that kind of God to a healthy person. He can't change. He's the same to healthy and not healthy people. Um, we all go through hard situations, but we can't say, oh, now God is different because he allowed this to happen to me. Our circumstances never change who God is. We can still have joy as we go through our hard times. So just remember this as I give my story. Um, in 2004, in May 2004, when I was eight years old, um, I was diagnosed with MD. 
So my life was pretty normal up until this point. I was born on April 1st, 1996. There's some pictures of me in 2001, riding bike, going to school. This picture, ah, uh, how'd that get up there? <laughs> pretty, pretty good life. That's, you can see Drew up there, Shane and Joelle. So I, I threw that in there. I found it on Facebook. I'm like, I'm going to put this up. So um, my life was pretty normal up to then, except I couldn't run very fast. And I did not have a lot of strength for strenuous activities or sports. Looking back, my parents could see early signs of this, you know, that I had MD. But at that point, you know, we didn't really know it. Now we can easily, we know the symptoms. It's very easy to pick out. Some of the things I did when I was younger, I would walk on my toes, up on my toes, and I would take one step at a time up the steps. You go one foot, next foot up to the same step. I wouldn't go one step, up another one. And my younger sister started running faster than me, so that was a sign like, okay, something's not exactly right here, because she's starting to pass me up. And I remember going to the doctor a couple weeks before I was diagnosed. One of the first tests that is used to diagnose somebody with MD is called Gower's Maneuver. I was going to show a picture of it, and I didn't find one, didn't have time to get it. So the doctor has a child lay on, lay on the ground, fully flat on their back with nothing near them. And then he has them get up, and if they stand to their feet with their hands still touching the ground, so they get up on their feet, and then they crawl their hands up their legs to get in an upright position. It's a good sign that they have MD. I remember doing this test. I can still remember going to the doctor and doing this. They also tested my blood for a high creatine, kinase, or CK level. The doctor informed my mom that my CK level was very high, confirming that it was MD. The news came on May 7, 2004. The day school was having field day. Field day was obviously a school sport that really showed something was wrong with me and my parents told me the results when I got home. I was very young then, but I completely, I completely understood what was going on. I obviously knew something was different about me compared to other kids my age, and now that I knew the name, what it's called, it gave me a reason for why I can't do other things like other kids can my age. I also had a muscle biopsy done at Hershey to see what kind of MD I have. Uh, most kids with MD quit walking around 12 years of age. I quit walking about 14. And I also had genetic testing done later um, to see. That's mostly what they use now, DNA testing, to confirm, you know, if you have uh, muscular dystrophy and stuff like that. And some quick pictures that I have here. Um, this is, I have the dates at them so you can kind of tell. This, I started doing therapy with this lady in 2005, and I did therapy the whole way with her. She did it once a week on Tuesdays. Up till 2018, she retired, so I had the same therapist. She was a nice lady to work with. Now I have a new therapist. I like her a lot, too. We have connections. We know some people that she knows. And you can kind of see how my progression of how I stood, how I'm standing. Like there, 2005 looks pretty normal. 2007 looks pretty much about the same. My legs are a little farther apart. And then you can start to see more how I looked when I walked in October 2008 and August 2009. Um, um, and MD only severely affects boys. 
So girls get a mild symptoms of it, but it's, it won't affect them. MD is passed on an X chromosome. So a mom is a carrier, if my mom is a carrier, so all her children have 50% chance of getting the affected X chromosome passed on to them. All my sisters were carriers, which they all had a 50% chance. And boys either have MD or they don't. There's no in-betweens, either they do or they don't. So Tyler's completely unaffected by this. He's the only one that didn't have this X chromosome passed on to him. And fathers can only pass on the X chromosome to their daughters, so they cannot give MD to their sons. So any man that has it or can't pass it down. But their daughters will all be carriers. And just last year we found out that my mom's sister Sheila and one of her daughters are also carriers. So obviously it didn't start in our family. It was a little bit with my mom's siblings and stuff like that. But none of her brothers have MD. So obviously it wasn't in her, in her mom. Um, my walking was pretty normal until I started getting into sixth grade, which the October 2006-8 picture, those are like my middle school, sixth, seventh, and eighth grade. Um, I became more unsteady. If someone came in contact with me even slightly, I'd go down. Um, there was many, I cracked my head many good times in those three years. I didn't have the strength in my arms to break a fall, so I'd just go down in a heap. And I, I don't think I ever got a concussion. I, one time we weren't sure about it, I hit my head on the concrete out front of our house. Uh, I never broke any bones, never broke a bone in my life. I don't know how that is, but somehow that is. And my dad was my teacher in sixth, seventh, and eighth grade. So he was always there to pick me up. Those are my worst, the worst years that I'd fall and stuff like that. And when I was in large crowds, I'd have to basically stay sitting at one spot. Couldn't move around like I do now with powered chairs and stuff. Um, I got a scooter in 2009 when I was 12 years old. So there, that picture was from 2010. And I gradually used it more and more, but tried to maintain what I had. I would get up and walk back and forth at different times, just get up for exercise. I had a route in our house, and I still remember doing this a lot. I'd walk back and forth, start in my room, my back door, walk the whole way out to the living room, go back and forth. I don't know how many times, I would do this four or five times at a time, or however many I could do. I did this up until the time, about the time I quit walking. I was gradually not able to walk back and forth as many times as I used to. I used a scooter more and more, especially when I was away from home. There's another picture of me and my, power, and my scooter in 2018. During the end of 2006, we had an addition put on our house. Some of you, like Lee and Sensnake, he helped do it. I was looking at some of those old pictures. I don't have any of those tonight, but saw some of those old pictures. And uh, many people donated to the project and offered to help build it. It continues to be a blessing to me. So if you did anything to help with that, you're blessing me every day for the past 13 years. A few, la few years later, we got a van with the lift on it. So having a scooter to easily get around on without worrying about falling and having a bedroom and bathroom on the first floor that I didn't have to go upstairs for, and a van that I could drive my scooter right into without getting off it, made it more practical to quit walking than to struggle to continue walking. And my leg muscles continued to get weaker because I was using a scooter more and more, and because just because of the natural progression 
of the disease. I was slowly getting onto the scooter early and earlier during my morning routine and staying on it until bedtime. It started out that I'd get up in the morning, do most of my morning routine, jump on the scooter and go to school. Then it became, I do a few things and I get on the scooter for the rest of the morning routine. Because of the slow, the slow regression, I knew that when I quit walking in the morning, that would be my last day to walk. So I knew as soon as, okay, that was a day. So a day or two later, marked it on my calendar. I still have that calendar that I wrote it on. The date was October 22nd, 2010. It'll be nine years ago next month. And I would 100% not go back to the last three years when I was walking yet. Those were the hardest years of my disability. If that was the way walking was going to be for me, I'd rather have a wheelchair and suffer through that. Those years I view as basically torture for me. Um, a scooter was sufficient for me for about seven years, but it was not the best for me the past two years I relied on it. I was no longer comfortable, it was no longer comfortable for me, and it had no head support. Um, we got the process rolling for a power chair. Uh, it took six months to get approved, which that's how stuff works. And then I personally had to make a plea to the insurance company about why I medically needed the seat elevation. And you all saw me just use that, so I think it's medically necessary for me. Um, I can tell you that my power chair makes life and the elevation stuff makes life 100% easier. Um, I can now reach stuff I never could have before. And I finally got it in May 2018. It's made my life a lot more enjoyable and easier the past year since I got it. I refer to it as a power chair. My last thing I had was a scooter, that's a power chair. But you can call it a wheelchair, call it whatever, I'll know, I'll know what you're referring to. So that's what, some pictures from this year, from last, from this year actually, yeah. And there at my desk, this is where I do most of my work, all the stuff I do. I'm, I got a, a table that's raised up. It's easier for me to go up to a table than like go down. I can't quite get as low to a table. So I raise up, sit at my desk right there, and also can recline it, do all kinds of stuff. The seat, the back of it goes back, the whole seat tips, feet can go up, kind of do a lot more things than that too, that I'm showing there. In 2009, this is one of the big things in my life, is I did a drug trial. And in, during 2008, I usually go to Hershey for my regular visits. So one of my doctors there, he was like, you know, there's a drug study going on at a hospital happening for MD and one of the sites is Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. So we decided to look into it farther, further and in 2009, I was enrolled in the double-blind study. Um, the name of the drug is Adalorin. It was developed, it was developed to enable ribosomal read-throughs of premature stop codons and nonsense mutation genetic disorders. That's a medical mouthful, isn't it? <laughs> I can honestly say that I mostly understand that sentence. So if you don't, don't feel bad. Neither did I for many years. But I am gonna try to demonstrate it to you so you can understand it. I think I made it easy enough that you should be able to understand it. So a nonsense, Duchenne muscular dystrophy is a nonsense mutation. So that's part of the sentence there. It's nonsense mutation. Um, a nonsense mutation is basically a stop sign that tells the DNA reader to skip that part of my DNA, which results in unfinished dystrophin protein. So imagine that every letter of the DNA was being printed out on paper, and on one line, the printer missed the rest of the line. 
Now imagine when, the when someone read the line with the missing words, they skip to the next line when they get to the spot because they don't know what the words are missing. So imagine this is my DNA being printed out and then the printer skips part of it, right where the stop sign is. And then imagine the computer, imagine a computer printing this out. The computer knows what's supposed to be there, but the printer's the stop sign that says, bump, don't, don't print this, you can't show this part. And then when the reader comes along, he doesn't know what the words are in that missing gap, so he has to, he can't use the information because it's incomplete. So the computer is like the DNA. The printer is like the stop sign that tells the DNA reader to skip to the next line. And the DNA reader cannot use the information that is skipped. This, mis this missing information prevents my muscles from making a protein called dystrophin, which makes your muscles strong. If you have kids with MD don't have a lot of dystrophin, that's what they're missing, which is vital for building healthy muscles. So Adaloran, the drug I'm on, and I'm still on it today, been on it since 2009, is supposed to design to break through the stop sign and continue the DNA sequence. So that's basically what scientists, researchers are all trying to do is break through that stop sign. And now I take this three times a day. I got to get it mixed up. Derek knows this well. He had to do this while I was at SMBI. But those are the three packets, two packets. Open them up, put them in, mix it up a little bit. And when I joined the drug study, I was put on either low-dose, high-dose, or the placebo. We didn't know which one they put me on, so you didn't know it was double-blind. And the doctors didn't know which one I was on either, so hence the double-blind study. The, re the researchers just had a number that was assigned to me. We would go down to CHOP every six weeks for two days. Usually we went home between the days. They would get a lot of strength measurements from me and make me walk for six minutes around a a track in a hallway. Um, each day I was there, I got blood work, and we had many different people go down with us to drive when just my mom and I were going down. Mary's going once, Marion was down with us too. And when the double blind part of the study ended, everybody went on the low dose. They, they said they got more results in the low dose, so everybody went on the low dose. And then a few months later, they called us, told us to quit taking the medicine, quit taking it. All the boys did a big phone call. And they said it didn't reach the FDA's benchmark for improvement, so they are ending everything. This was a little bit of a hard day because we had hoped that this medicine could do something and help me. And I quit walking during the time when I was off the medicine. So I don't know if being off the, the drug affected when I stopped walking, but it doesn't seem like a coincidence that I quit walking during this time when I was off of it. The drug must have been doing something for me. Then a few months later, they started everybody back up again in the low dose. I've been taking the low dose ever since that point. So I think it was 2009, I started taking it. it took it for like a year and a half, and it went off. So I've been taking it since 2010. I don't know when it's gonna get approved for sure. In Europe, it's approved already in Europe, but the US is a little bit more cautious, taking their time. So they're continually doing more studies, but all the boys that have been on the studies are just able to stay on it until it gets approved. So the, comp the drug company ain't making money till, till it gets approved in the US. Um, thankfully now we only go to CHOP once a year. So we just go down there for one day, just a couple hours. Um, 
Adalorin didn't really improve any of the boys, but it might have slowed the progression of the disease. Uh, my doctors at Hershey told me that the two, two boys that are on Adalorin are doing better than their other kids. So they gave us some hope that maybe this is a good sign. Um, I have no negative effects of taking the medication, so I don't see any reason why I just keep going on it for a while. Um, hopefully it is doing good for my muscles to help me live and breathe. It obviously ain't making me walk again or doing that, but it could keep my lungs and heart and stuff like that healthy. Um, there was also some perks of going on the drug study. Um, first, my dad said he'd get me a laptop if I went on this study. I, I wasn't, this time of my life, I still wasn't a big fan of getting blood work. Kind of freaked me out a little bit still. Um, now, stab me four or five times without, I won't mind it. Do 45 times when they can't find a needle. When they can't find a vein, they'll be poking around. Oh, try the other arm again. Um, so now I'm good with that. I don't, I don't mind that. Another perk was that all our meals were covered for both days we were there. It was a very generous amount that could cover the bill for a whole family to eat out for supper. We got to splurge for about a year or two at Olive Garden Applebee's. That ended, obviously. Don't have that still. Um, they would cover lodging for the night in between if we wanted to use it. We took advantage of this once and stayed at a hotel down there. Um, we met many families, that other boys that were on the study too, some from Spain and Miami that would fly in for two days, go out again, they, different places around the world they flew from. And thankfully, we were close to a site for the study, didn't have to fly every time. Um, it was a new and exciting adventure that I wouldn't trade for anything. Um, even though there wasn't, even though we didn't, we were hoping for a little bit more results. Um, I'm basically a guinea pig for future studies, even if I'm gone before they find a cure. Uh, so I believe they're gonna, this disease, um, I believe this is a disease that researchers will make great advancements in treatments and even find a cure sometime in the next 50 years. With all the DNA, uh, editing, changing, modifications, I think they will eventually be able to cure it. Things I can't do. Um, when the average person sees me, they assume I had an accident or was paralyzed from the waist down. Um, they assume I have full strength in my arms. They don't, you can't really tell unless you see me using my arms. So they'll reach out. They don't realize that I can only reach out as far as my arm resting on my knee or leg can reach out. So sometimes I get people where they hold something out for me. I'm like, I can't, I can't get it. Like I have my hand kind of there and I'm thinking, I'll take it if you move it a little closer to my hand. Don't you see my hand down here? Like just down here, like just look down. So sometimes I'm like, and it's so close sometimes. Sometimes it's like an inch or like a couple centimeters. I'm like, look down, look down. <laughs> um, uh, there's many everyday tasks like this that healthy people would never give a second thought about. You want to think about that? Another example is when I shake people's hands. I slide my arm off the controller to prepare to shake their hand. Sometimes I'll do this, extend my hand, put it out as far as I can, and they'll put their hand out also. The only problem is they don't grab my hand to shake it. So we sort of just do some kind of air handshake. I both put our hands down. And sometimes I just keep my hand on my controller 
if I don't want to shake people's hands, so I avoid the situation. But I do like to shake people's hands, so feel free to, that is acceptable. Um, as you imagine, my arm weakness makes me a lot more dependent on other people. Um, there's many handicapped people that can live very independent lives because they have full strength, can easily move themselves around, drive, do some of that stuff. Um, the one problem I don't have is getting around. My power chair is amazing. Um, I can get around better than most healthy people. My legs, as you call it, never get tired. I can just keep going for miles and miles without any battery, without my battery going dead. Sometimes I think, why are people slowing down? What's happening? I'm like, oh, I guess we have been walking for a while, and they must be getting tired or something, so I guess i got to slow down. Um, I'm the kind of person that likes to keep moving when I'm outside. Like, if I sit still, I get bored, and I just want to cruise, go somewhere else. And um, empty parking lots are like, can make my day. Like, that's cool. Like, nobody there. I can flat out go as fast as I can, and that's fun. I like, I like just zooming. And my, even though I have a disability, there's a lot of things I couldn't do. There's some things I've had the opportunity to do that healthy people, some of them haven't had the opportunity to do. Um, there's lots of cool things. A lot of them are some cool ones that I did. And I know some of you have heard of make, have gone on Make-A-Wish trips. I did one in, 2000, in October 2006 when I was 10 years old. Um, we went on a cruise to the Bahamas on the Southern Gospel singing at Sea Cruise. Went to Freeport, NASA, and Half Moon Cay. Some of those might have got hit some of the hurricane. And Kervin Elaine Weaver's daughter, Heidi, was given a Make-A-Wish trip also at the same time. So we kind of coordinated it that we could go together. So we, both families went. Um, it was a great time. There was concerts in the evening. Um, the most exciting thing or not exciting thing that happened on this trip was that there was a bad storm the last night we were on the ship. This is like October, so maybe it was hurricane weather. Who knows? And the front of the ship in the evening was just going up. You felt the front of the ship, the whole thing going up and down, up and down. Um, people were getting sick everywhere. Everybody was carrying throw-up bags around. My dad and Kerwin went up on the deck, and like the wind was just howling up there, and just like it was, it was kind of bad. And during the night, the piano that was on the stage flew off the stage and crashed into pieces. I only saw a picture of this afterwards. I didn't get to look at it. So a couple pictures here. This is the boat we were on. We left from Jacksonville, Florida. There's me at the one island. You can see our boat in the background. We got off on another boat. And there at the one uh, place where there's lots of fish and stuff like that, aquarium, went to there. And that's our whole family there, except we're missing one yet. Shana wasn't born yet. So that was, that was a cool time. I still remember it fairly well. And I didn't, obviously I didn't have a scooter or power chair. So it was, it was a good time to go. Don't have to worry about that with flying and stuff like that. And then I did another thing in August 2013. I went on a special hunting trip with an organization called Moment of Peace Adventures. And Les Longenecker, his son, has also done this. And they're based in Oli. And you can go for, they'll set you up to go hunting for bear and elk and moose or yak or whatever you want to go for. Um, I decided to stick with white-tailed buck so that I would 
could fit the mount in my room, on a wall in my room. I wouldn't have to, if it was something big, it wasn't going to fit in there. So we went to a 400-acre fenced-in ranch near Pittsburgh. My dad always says, if you're a healthy man and you go to a fenced-in deer farm to hunt, you're not a real hunter. Don't go there. <laughs> um, it was the middle of August when we went on the trip. So we were hunting in short sleeves and sweating. Not exactly tough guy hunting. Um, I got a 10-point buck the first day that we were there. It's a picture of it mounted in my room. Um, the guides knew the names of the deer, and they knew which ones were options for me to hunt that day and shoot. So it was a pretty controlled hunting experience. Um, another picture, my grandpa, Petersheim, with the buck. And that's the crew that went along. My dad and Tyler and me and my grandpa. I did do some tough guy hunting the two previous seasons up at Roy Goods Farm in Potter County. Um, his son, Kevin, took me hunting there. He got me all set up with the blind and a gun and everything because I didn't own a gun. I'm from the city. So. <laughs> and the first year we went in the late season, and that was brutally cold. It was cold, so I, don't, I, I didn't go just in August. Um, it was snowing while we hunted. We had a little heater set up in the blind and stuff. And that first year I went hunting, I hit a deer in the guts. And it... We tracked it down, and it was, they're like, oh, it's still, it's still alive. We'll come back in the morning. So came back in the morning, and the coyotes had gotten it. So I killed it, but it's kind of a waste. Unfortunately, and then the second time I went, we went in the early season, so it was a little less cold, not as brutal. And I hit a deer right in the heart, went about 20 yards, and fell down in the driveway. So that was, that was a good hunt. So I do know what real hunting is like. There were only three years I hunted, but I'm done with it for now. It would be too hard on me to go anymore. If I was healthy, I would be a hunter. Um, my mom's family, the Petersheims, they got hunting in their blood, and I got hunting in my blood. So, but, so for now, I'm not pursuing that anymore. In 2000, from 2015 to 2017, I went to SNBI for terms, some terms in the, in the winter time. Um, I went with Derek Rule. He was my caretaker when I was there. He did, he did a really good job, and it allowed me to feel a little bit more independence. It's the first time I was kind of away and doing something else. Um, I enjoyed the break during the winter from having to go out in the cold every day. It's night when I'm here, got to go out to the vehicle, it's cold. At SMBI, I kind of just hunkered down in SMBI, didn't go out in the cold much, and kept me, kept me out, not in the cold. Uh, some pictures here. These are my dormies in 2015. Mike and Derek, they're here tonight, over here. So that was a fun experience for me. Derek and I, we built a good relationship while we were there. Um, we still get together every couple months, try to get time to get together. And also Michael Crable, sitting right here. He was the best. He never lacked enthusiasm. Right, Derek? Never, never lacked enthusiasm at SMBI. Um, I enjoyed getting to know new people. Some even ended up in Reading after they were there. Matt Swords Trooper, don't know if you know him, but he came to Reading. And he got married to a girl that also met someone at SMBI from Reading. And they got married. So they... They were never at SMBI together, but I call them the 
the SMBI couple that never met at SMBI, so. <laughs> um, while I was there, I really enjoyed the classes a lot. I'm the kind of person that enjoys learning. I guess it's kind of like a hobby, since there are a lot of other things I can't do, whether it's learning about Anabaptist theology, politics, science, plumbing, construction, how things work. I'll, if I'm learning something, I'll sit there and watch how, or watch somebody else, how are you doing this? How does it work? Um, YouTube can also be a great, awesome learning tool. There's different people on there I watch that just, this is how it works, science things. And in 2000, January of 2013, I don't have pictures of this, but I started taking driver's training at Hershey. Um, I, spent a, I spent a month or two going up to Hershey once a week for training. And they had a van there that they'd use to train disabled people to drive. They could change the controls however you needed it to make it work. I used a regular steering wheel with electric pedals that I put one foot on the gas and one on the brake. After the training, they helped us modify the pedals in our van so that I could have one foot on each pedal. So we just kind of did the easy, didn't do the expensive route, we just modified our van. So I drove for about three years. Um, the system's not really practical for me anymore, so I don't, I don't drive anymore. But I can still say I did it, and I, I had the experience of it. I drive every day, just, just on my power chair, not in a vehicle. Um, yeah, there's, well, today they're coming out with new systems that you can drive with joystick, control the whole vehicle, stuff like that. Um, it was, a fun experience, just getting to drive. And, oh, let's see. Um, next, another thing that I'm doing, interesting that I, this is one coming up, an opportunity I'm having is next summer we're gonna go out west on the train. Go from the whole way from Lancaster to San Francisco. Go and then do some touring out there for a week and a half or so, and then take the train back in. Flying is not really the easiest thing to do, as other people know with power chairs. You know, you don't know how it's going to come back if you turn it over to the airport people. Um, they, they, they don't really, they don't understand how we're protective of our, of our power chair because it's basically like our body. If, if that's broken, we're broken too. So, um, in conclusion, I want to read a verse from um, Isaiah 40:31 says, but they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. Um, this is my favorite Bible verse. It's been my favorite verse for a while. Um, it's a physical promise for me. It's not physical for everybody. Um, I may have to wait for eternity to be renew my strength, but someday I know I'm going to have my strength renewed. Um, we all have problems in this life, but we all have the promise of eternity. We won't have any of these diseases like MD or cancer or any other diseases we're suffering from. Um, I trust God to give me strength for each day. I thank God I live at a time when we have technology that can make life easier for people like me. There's many other times, 50, 60, 70, 100 years ago, didn't have power chairs like this, didn't have means to get around. 
and the Americans with Disabilities Act signed by George H.W. Bush has made, it, made things so much more accessible in the United States, unlike other places in the world. I can't imagine living 30 years ago when buildings and bathrooms, sidewalks, were not accessible like they are today. Every time I see a sidewalk that's getting the curve redone at the corners, I'm like, good, yes, yes, I'm getting another one done. So today, I find most buildings, most things are accessible. Sometimes you gotta go out of the way places. I don't mind going the long way because I just speed, speed ahead, get there quick. So I like long ramps. Long ramps are cool too. I'll take, I'll take the ramp. Um, and another cool thing that we did, speaking of H.W. Bush, was we were up in Maine a couple summers ago and we, we went to Kenny Bunkport where they're at and we sat, we pulled up across from their house. You can sit there and watch. And we're like, sat there for a long time. We're like, oh, we're gonna leave now. And a guy that had given us a trolley ride earlier, he was coming by and he stopped there. He's like, hey, the security guard, the Secret Service is right outside his office. You should wait because he might come out. So we waited around and he came out and we got a picture of him. This is the picture from across the water. Saw him coming out. And he was the one that signed the Americans with Disabilities Act, ADA. So I guess I have a lot to thank him for what the US, how accessible things are today. And another cool thing is that um, when H.W. Bush passed away last, last year, a year ago, yeah, we went, he they have the casket lying state at the United States Capitol. So we went down there, stood in the line, the whole long line, waited for, uh, we were kind of in the cold. It wasn't too cold, but by the end, you know, fingers and toes were getting a little bit. And so we waited through that whole line, got inside, wait through some more lines. Oh, we're soon there. Go up another set of stairs. Yep, more lines, more lines. We get to like the last room where we're waiting and we hear, uh, well, we're gonna pause the line for a while because George W. Bush is in the room right now. We were like 10 minutes, 10 minutes away from being in the room with George W. Bush and he went around and shook everybody's hand right where I would have been and I would have been in the front row and we're like, ah, missed it by a little bit. Because people were watching it live and they're like, oh, the president just walked in and stuff. And so we missed that, but it was a cool experience to go down. Casket was closed, so you couldn't see anything. We just stood there for a while and, and then left from there. So I have two, two instances of seeing HW or being at his casket and stuff. Um, three things that I want to leave you with that I do, that I have done, and do do to deal with my disability. Um, these three things are, number one, look for the positives in my life. I look for the positives in my life because other people have it worse than me. I always look for the positives. Yep, this I have good, this is good because I know other people, I can see people everywhere that have it worse than me, something. And the second one, number two, is don't dwell on the negatives. Um, the negatives are guaranteed to happen to everybody, so dwelling on them ain't really going to help you overcome your disability. And the third one is find stuff to keep, I find stuff to keep myself busy. I'm very, a very busy person. I don't have a full-time job. I go down to school three days a week, help tutor and do some things down there. But I do lots of things for the church, I do lots of schedules, do Sunday school schedules for the year, I do 
stuff for the calendar, schedules for Wednesday evenings, Sunday evenings, whatever, you name it. And there's other things I do for the church, do like make a flyer. My dad's like, oh, we're going to have this soon, so make a flyer. So I'm always busy. I have a list of things. Okay, I got to get these things done. I don't always get them done, and there's still more to do. So I always, there's always something I can do, something. I'm never sitting around bored. I always have something that needs to be done, and I'm like, okay, I got to get this done, figure this out. Um, so, yeah, I, I just want you all to know that I have a disability, but it doesn't, it doesn't slow me down in life. I still have a good life. I still can do a lot of things um, and get a lot of things that other people don't get, a lot of perks, a lot of just things that people help you with and are nice to you. So um, I hope you all were inspired tonight. And uh, let's close with a word of prayer. Dear Jesus, um, I want to thank you for allowing me to give a presentation here. I pray that um, I would, would have inspired somebody tonight and to know that the situation in their life isn't the end of the world and that they're, they can still have a good life and be happy and joyful. And I pray that you give us a good rest of the evening. In Jesus' name, amen.